0: You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show, you might recall that she's a yoga teacher. And I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous data-oriented approach here on Dunkton, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10 minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference Whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlin.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description. 85 percent of daily fantasy sports players lose don't be surprised it's rigged you're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time stat hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage here's how it works stat hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them it's you versus the house in a head-to-head matchup you name your stakes and winner takes all so go to stathero.com cap space you can sign up for free and right now you get 300 percent back on your first play. That's stathero.com slash cap space. Don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. So a weekend of playoff basketball is in the books, and certainly we need to talk uh, about all of that, uh, starting with Utah Clippers. But the thing we need to discuss first, which is really a shame, is just how much injuries are now affecting these playoffs. I mean, you also... Start off with Jamal Murray and, I mean, Klay Thompson's been out for the whole year, so you can't even talk about that. was team wasn't in the playoffs. Uh, but Murray was out already. Jalen Brown was out already before the start of the playoffs. But the list of players who just within these playoffs have been affected by injury. It's just insane. The list of all-star players, I mean, probably four of the top 10 players in the NBA have been significantly affected by injuries and a bunch of maybe three or four other guys who are in the top 25. And then like every other, every single team has some role players that are out too. I mean, it's it's just crazy. LeBron, obviously with the high ankle sprain, I think claiming that he was playing at his usual level is would not be realistic as it wasn't for Steph Curry when he came back in 2016. Anthony Davis, we know what happened with him. Harden has played 43 seconds in this series. Kyrie just sprained his ankle. We'll talk more about that, obviously, going forward. Joel Embiid missed a game. Thank God he looks like he's 100%, but that can change it at any time. He has torn his meniscus. Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell is struggling. We'll talk about that some. Chris Paul had basically three games where he was pretty useless for the sons So I mean, this is just—I was hopeful coming into these playoffs that we were going to get a pretty good playoffs. That there were some guys who were coming back from injury, but it seemed like everyone was going to be ready, and it just—it hasn't happened yet. Every team, as of right now, even that's left in this, other than the Suns, is dealing with significant injury issues.
1: Yeah, and the Suns already dealt with one. And it is true that the playoffs are almost always a war of attrition. And whether you want to go back through various champions of recent vintage or deeper vintage you see that the volume of high-end players that are either unavailable or limited is dramatic and we just make the best of it i mean that that's all that's all we can really do but it has of course changed the tenor and dynamics of all of these series and one of those is where we'll start clippers jazz where not only did mike conley miss his third straight game not only is serge Ibaka a valued role player out for the clippers for he had back surgery so he will be out for presumably the remainder of the playoffs we don't really have anything further on Ibaka as of now but also Donovan Mitchell has been dealing you know he missed 18 games I believe it was at the end of the regular season with an ankle sprain and has been some degree of re-injuring it at a couple points in the playoffs also missed the first game of the of the Jazz first round series against the Grizz and one of those games affected by it though I don't think it determined who the winner of this game was it's still you know we have to wonder about the lingering effects of Donovan Mitchell's ankle
0: Yeah, and the the injury uh, we saw in game two when he was absolutely on fire, It kind of happened towards the end of, I believe it was the second quarter, when he was in the midst of that run of scoring 59 points in two halves. And did not have the same type of impact in the second half of game two, uh, although they did, of course, win that game. Uh, and then in this game, seemed to be playing really well. I mean, some of the three pointers that he's making are, you know, getting to kind of Damon Steph type of territory uh, when he's really heating up uh, in this series. But. It was a fairly innocuous play. It's, again, it's the right foot, the right ankle, and I couldn't even really see an injury mechanism of it. You know, it maybe his ankle was kind of turned a little bit di- at a little bit different of an angle, but there wasn't like any kind of a rollover when I could tell. He just went to a jump stop tried to pop up and he seemed pretty clear that he heard it as he was jumping up because by the time he landed he only wanted to land uh, on his left leg uh coming down from that shot and so he did say after the game yeah it's just it's on when i'm landing that that's the issue and that's you know i, I that was weird to me because it looked like he heard it on the takeoff but uh and, and he said he's just gonna have to play through it but you have to imagine that his effectiveness is not going to be at the level that it needs to be this crazy level where you know I mean really it seems like for Utah to win games he's got to outplay both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George he didn't outplay either of them in the end in this game And Mike Conley, we still don't know his status. He's listed as questionable again for tomorrow. If he does come back, he'll be on some kind of a minutes limit. The burden on Mitchell is pretty big. The Jazz are not playing him, you know, these 43-minute type of minute loads. So, it's definitely a concern for the Jazz, and the Clippers get back in it with a, a blowout win. Wasn't quite as ridiculous as the final score indicated.
1: Yeah, I mean, we only stopped the live. I mean, granted, part of the reason we extended the live show was to see what was going on with Donovan Mitchell, but I mean, it, they cut, They I think it was 18 or so with about five minutes to go. And then, yeah, it got it got a little bit more ridiculous from there. And. We got asked a couple of times towards the end of that of like, did this game change the way you saw the series? And other than any potential further injury to Mitchell, which thankfully doesn't look like preliminarily is the case, like at least one that is going to affect his availability in game four or in game four is no. I, I think that the Clippers... At times they defended better. I thought that they, you know, they were able to communicate a little bit, though they had times where they were absolutely horrible. And the three point pendulum swung in their direction to a degree that you don't expect to continue. 19 of 36 from three. But at least from my perspective, I. I mean, I always thought the, the teams would be competitive in this series. I, you know, the Jazz are are very good. I thought the Clippers would be able to handle them more, more comfortably without Mike Conley. But, I mean, the Clippers also were very close to winning game one, should have in my estimation. And... This is a competitive series.
0: Well, so I said that before game two, I think you guys, you and I are actually going to disagree on that. People always say we don't disagree enough, so not, now we'll, we'll disagree. I don't know if I can favor the Clippers yet, just not knowing I what's going on with Mitchell and Conley, but... I think I said i gave him about a 20% chance of winning the series after game two. Again, the heart of that was based on Conley maybe going back for game three. Obviously, he didn't. Um, But I think there were some things that shifted to me. How much those are going to matter going forward? How much the Jazz can adjust to those? I'm not sure. Number one was just that Ty figured it out from a lineup perspective. And he started Nick Batum again. Amazing. He didn't decide to start Zubots. That was such a great decision (laughs) in game two. Uh, So he yo-yoed back. KP had a piece noting about how he has been just a crazy amount of trying guys. And they have a bunch of guys that you realistically could try. But now, Zubots is basically playing only when Mitchell is off the floor. Uh, Patrick Beverly, Mann, and Kennard are your other bench guys. Kennard also was largely playing only when Mitchell was off the floor as well. They, they had those guys together a little bit when Mitchell started the fourth quarter, which he doesn't normally do. Uh, and then Terrence Mann got back into it for uh, 22 minutes off the bench, and he was plus 21. Uh, as and Batum played 35 minutes, he'd been at 21 and 27. First couple of, of games, they did get back to doing more switching. Their communication was not perfect, obviously, uh, but they and they also were doing the switch double. They even what they would do because they know that the Jazz want to get Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim really hard out of these switches is they weren't quite putting two on the ball because they were trying to switch most of the time unless it was Reggie Jackson or, or Kennard involved getting stuck on Mitchell but they did have someone even coming and they've been doing this all all series but even more so in this game I thought they have someone coming over from the weak side as well just to like briefly take Gobert if they hit him on like that very first pass right out of the when the guys come together to switch because gobert is going to try and slip to the rim but then that guy will instantly get back to the corner so there's like a brief moment of vulnerability in the corner uh they're also going to the switch double more which mitchell threw two amazing passes off of that in the first quarter to find the guy in the opposite corner but largely i thought that worked reasonably well um they did. They have a bunch of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, this was not the 2016 Warriors with their switching and communication. And obviously, everyone's gotten better at attacking switching it as well to cause those miscommunications. But they defended well enough to win. And you know, I know some were saying, "Well, hey, this is this is an, a defensive loss for the Jazz." And we'll talk about that aspect too. But I did think that the Clippers looked better. Defensively, particularly in the first quarter when they held him to 23 points. The Jazz did kind of go crazy in the third. We can talk about how it was that they did that, but uh they held him to 26 points or fewer in all quarters but the third. One twelve offensive rating. Some of that was was garbage time. It was better throughout. But the Jazz also were basically hitting fifty percent from three throughout the entire game until the very end. But the Jazz shot forty-three percent from two. And that's right, and that's the the thing that has changed.
1: And it was not only rough finishing in the restricted area 14 to 25 including some just like straight up missed layups. remember this is not a Clippers team yeah. with a ton of rim protection they had a whopping two blocks in this game one for Zubots, one for Kawhi Leonard but the, the Jazz were three of 15 on twos away from the restricted area two of 10 from floater range one of five from mid-range and some of those were really well contested shots some of them were misses that you know you could you could see falling but they were definitely better contested than earlier in the
0: series, to say the least. So it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can Schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. And you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires. Not candidates. Anyone could can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit. To upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash capspace, easy to remember slash cap space, because we talked about all the time here on the program. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash capspace. That's indeed.com slash cap space. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. I don't forget that slash cap space URL. let let them know that you came from us. When the Clippers were on offense, things changed as well. They really were not getting anything at the rim hardly at all. Now, obviously hitting as many threes as they did helped, but also having almost all the time that Rudy Gobert was on the floor, they didn't have any non-shooters out there, or maybe it was, you know, a Terrence Mann or something who can still hit it. And so Gobert got stuck on Marcus Morris a lot, and Morris, uh, you know, he didn't play that many minutes uh, as they went with uh, other guards as well. But they had more shooting on the floor, and... Well, I still think that Gobert played well and I did find it a little mystifying that his minutes were kind of held down. I think part of that was just because favor like they were going on some runs when favors were out there and Snyder thought he could get more time like there's this i i also saw this idea floating around that like gobert wasn't that great in this game and you know i didn't think that he himself played worse within his capabilities it's just that the clippers made it more difficult for him uh with the amount of spacing that they put on the floor and also just not trying to attack him as much directly and putting him into difficulty guarding that corner shooter and so really like the big stretch uh, of the game I thought yeah the Clippers went up 37 26 in the second but the Jazz came out scoring like crazy in the third but the Clippers kept pace because Kawhi Leonard really started getting to the basket and Gobert just wasn't as active helping he just had it in his mind that he had to be guarding a shooter a little bit more so he wasn't contesting as much and the Clippers got way more at the basket than they had uh, in previous games
1: yeah and it was it was some of it was technically from float range but yeah Kawhi was getting there more and also I mean I thought a huge difference was Paul George hitting his threes I mean he's been had some real struggles in this series still did have four turnovers it's not a Paul George game without at least a couple of weird turnovers and he looked more confident shooting it and instead of the what i said before a lot of the best things paul george did offensively was just getting to the free throw line he was taking and making some shots and he did get some stuff around the basket too but those threes that was a part of why the clippers went 19-36. that and reggie jackson going completely insane in the early going
0: yeah he made his first four shots all of which were threes i mean impressive because he, he definitely gets torched defensively but man i mean that guy's just shooting the crap out of the ball he's also it seems like big three-pointers too like the the really blunt momentum uh, quite a bit uh I mean the Jazz started 8-0 in this game again and he was the one who got them right back into it at the start I mean you mentioned George's six of ten from three they got him coming off of screens a little bit more but many of those uh, were off the dribble uh and uh, against a drop coverage where he he was able to do more as well you know i i thought the idea of him getting switched on to rudy gobert with gobert guarding him i didn't think that was like so successful he had an and one and he had one just like impossible twisting layup i don't think he has the explosion and he's not going to do going at favors he can kind of like go with go with the push off p move and and shove him backward and create some space i didn't think that worked great uh, against gobert i would no. still be fine with that matchup if i'm the jazz Well, and you can see gobert like i mean him.
1: part of part of the gobert effect is also also, the shots that the Clippers don't take. I mean, 25 shots in a restricted area is okay, but they also took 15 floaters. And there were so many times where they, they drove in, and a couple times where they should have thought better, like uh, that play, well, that was in game two, but the one when Pat, Patrick Beverly took it anyway, but where they would kick it out and try to get something else because it's like, oh, crap, Rudy Gobert's here.
0: Yeah, Clippers also got up more three-point attempts, and, and obviously they hit him as well. But I thought his three-pointers, that's uh Gobert was spending a lot of time Guarding him as well. So Batum, Jackson, and George were a combined fifteen of twenty two from three. That's that's pretty darn good. And then Kennard was two out of four mm-hmm. as well. So I mean they they you know, Kawhi and Morris were really the only three-point shooters that weren't hitting much, and Kawhi had some pretty wide open looks too. So I, I thought overall it was better. This is also, I think, the first playoff game, and one of the very few games even in their entire time with the Clippers that both Leonard and George scored 30 plus points and while the jazz you know Royce O'Neal shot well and Ingles shot really well from three uh, as well Clarkson continues to be on fire in the series Jordan Clarkson has 16 three pointers in three games in this series but uh he was really inefficient from two that that was a big part of their their struggles the jazz just just have it out there
1: Clarkson was one for seven on twos didn't take any free throws and had three assists
0: yeah and the jazz still with only 15 assists on 36 field goals so a lot of, a lot of this is off the dribble three point shooting that's most most of clarkson most of mitchell is that uh but you know the jazz are a great three point shooting team i mean it is very rare that they'll even shoot you know below 35% in a game we saw that in game 1 but they they found their rhythm a, a, again So, yeah, I I think that just because the Clippers... This is now the Clippers playing the best way and the best guys, which they just didn't do in the first two games. You wondered if they were ever going to get there, and Ty Lue finally did. I mean, I could have told him that this was the best way to play after, you know, at the very beginning of the series. And also, they're just... the. They're not looking as fatigued being back at sea level. We'll see if a game five changes things. But yeah, now really the the focus shifts to Utah and their health level, the health of their guards, because they just desperately need those guys to give them that firepower. Um, Let me see if I had anything else uh, in this one. The Jazz did go to a zone defense a little bit. Yeah, that was weird.
1: Yeah, and there were a couple possessions where it looked good, and then the Clippers, not surprisingly, because they faced the zone so much in the first round, getting Kawhi or somebody else to the free throw line, I thought that that took them out of it a little bit.
0: Yeah, and the Jazz really, they were, when they got someone to the free throw line, they basically were like, okay, well, the center is going to guard this guy. They didn't make the adjustment that Dallas did of saying, all right, if you get the ball at the free throw line... We're gonna to try to bring one of the guards inside of Leonard and let the center back up a little bit. So Leonard was doing a lot of work at the foul line, both in man and in zone uh, with drives. He, I would not want to switch Gobert onto him. I think he he is going to be able to beat Gobert if they have the right spacing around him as well. Like that, that was a matchup I wouldn't particularly like because he's he's actually strong enough to get through Gobert uh, and finish. Um, so yeah, I don't know about that zone. That was kind of I think they tried to throw them off. Interestingly, we we did not see the Clippers zone very much, although it kind of looked like maybe they were trying it at the start of the third because the Jazz were just going so quickly with Mitchell at the start of the third. We and couldn't tell was, what they were in. Yeah, I mean, he was like, I was wondering how it was that Reggie Jackson kept getting on him and Mitchell would just burn him hard with that right-hand drive pretty much every time. And they got a you know just that initial drag screen, even off a miss, or even off a make, I should say, on the left side of the floor where Mitchell is just, or sometimes it's two screens as well, where Mitchell is just attacking to his right hand and either pulling up, uh, obviously the Denver Nuggets had no answers for that throughout a lot of their series last year also. But I think the, you know, the jazz playing really quickly, uh, the Clippers still had possessions where a guy would sub in and they didn't know who they had. And they give up a three, you know, they, they are not, This team is not incredibly disciplined and, they still make a lot of mental errors and their effort can wax and wane and that's that's why they're so inconsistent that's why they uh you know have been down to zero twice already in these playoffs and so obviously game four still remains a must win for the clippers but i would favor them in that game and then you know depending on the health of conley and mitchell i might favor them in games going forward in this series
1: it's going to be yeah i mean evaluating the Clippers is going to be there. Uh, one other point, there was some heavy criticism of George Niang. He had a very challenging game, three turnovers, two fouls in just 11 minutes. And the problem there is the Jazz just don't have that many other guys that are worth trying. Mie Oni was also rough in this game. So you're really going to give Niang's minutes to Mie Oni Now, if if Conley comes back, sure, you can reapportion things. You can maybe narrow the rotation that way. And then the other idea that I thought of was Derek Favors, especially now that Ty Lewis figured out his rotation better, Favors is getting exploited more like what happened in the Grizzly series, though Clippers do not have a John Morant. And one idea I don't think it's going to work, but is worth considering is trying out Ersan Eliasov in those minutes, draw some charges, you can space the floor a little bit better, maybe keep the offense moving. And again, I don't think it's gonna solve all of their all of their non-Gobert problems, but try it for one one stretch, see if it works, and if it doesn't, move away from it.
0: Yeah, Ursan trying to guard one on one and pick and roll might be just as bad as Could Favors. Be. I mean, I think, you know, he's a different kind of off ball defender. He does space the floor a little bit more, but the problem there is it's just the Jazz haven't played with a floor spacing big all year. Now, given the fact that they're kind of just going one on one, then may- maybe that you're better off having that spacing, but, you know, Favors, I think, is still better than they used to. Have. <laughs> Favors was pretty good, I thought, in game one, at least. Well, and, and the
1: Couple times when Favors was on the floor, they had Kawhi. The Clippers had Kawhi on him, and they were still setting the screens for Derek Favors when Mitchell had him. I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't do like anything is better than that because it was bringing the guy you don't want into the play into the play.
0: Yeah, and Kawhi spent some time on Mitchell, but maybe not as much. As in game two, uh, the Clippers also had a lot of success with just straight up isolating and blowing by their guys or trying with small, small pick and rolls to try to get the advantage there and then force Gobert to help and then they could kick out uh, for open threes or finish at the rim or just get to a a solid mid-ranger as well and you know the the Clippers are a very very good offensive team and I think they've we'll see like like they are now at least they are now doing the things that made me think they could have a matchup advantage in the series now a matchup advantage isn't the same as just the advantage in the series right but it's just they are able to do the things that if you can do them well will cause the jazz problems on both ends to some degree although mitchell obviously has been pretty awesome as a one-on-one defender now when he's tried to take Kawhi, he hasn't gotten anywhere you know they do need to get Kawhi off of him but they they've got the, the ability to do that obviously so I think that's all I've got on this game here. Uh, oh, and you mentioned Niang as well. Uh, Mie Oni also really struggled. The, the walking loose ball foul and had a couple of open looks. Just hasn't been able to knock those down. He was 0 of 2 from 3 in 8 minutes. And so I think Conley coming back, even if he can't play his full minutes, just redu- you. if you have Conley back, you probably can uh get Niang's role, like, very much reduced and not play Oni at all. Like, those guys played a combined 19 minutes. Now you do get smaller there, which can also be a concern defensively. Um And, you know, having two small guards on the floor with that Kawhi and PG can kind of go after, you know, that, that's not amazing either. Uh Like, that's one thing the Jazz have had a little bit more size out there. So they're probably at least in this series a better defensive team without Mike Conley in other series where you've got Mike Conley you know to guard John Morant for instance I think that they're he they're better with him but in this series with the size that the Clippers have in the wing maybe not well and so, but they're obviously way better on offense
1: one other big kind of bigger point on this is that for the Phoenix Suns who advance we'll talk about that later this potentially being a longer series is good news not only because they get more rest but because whoever makes it out is going to be more tired and potentially I mean we hope nobody gets gets injured but it increases. The risk.
0: Yeah, I would certainly be surprised if the Clippers don't win an A additional game in this series. But then again, if they if they lose game two or game four, then obviously the jazz is probably your favorite in game five. I've been working with master class now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying, my wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsey's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away more her than me if we're being honest because it is the NBA playoffs after all I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now but I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass just even when they're filming him doing the class they've got like four different cameras there they'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl it's really just remarkable and really whatever your interest is and however deep you want to go into it whether you want to just watch the videos whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as as well, And you can watch it on iOS, Android. We're casting it to our Chromecast. Super easy. The way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every Masterclass and 15% off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com slash capspace. You to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's masterclass.com slash capspace for 15% off Masterclass. Don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us. Let's talk now of Brooklyn and Milwaukee and, well, I do want to give the Bucks some credit because I think their defense has been much better yes. in games three and four uh, with the uh, the Mike budenholzer Vizini approach of going back to the beginning of what they've always done. But the loss of Kyrie Irving, obviously, is a complete disaster for Brooklyn. Uh, they fought gamely. Kevin Durant fought gamely, uh, but he suffered through he did some stuff in the third but he suffered through one of his worst playoff games in a while pj tucker was allowed to really get into him physically um you know we can talk more about that but just the loss of irving the way that that looked coming down straight like 90 degree onto the bone didn't have any idea the guy was there down as long as he was walking boot and crutches after the game i I would be shocked if he's able to play in the next game and james harden they said they don't want to rush him back he's doing some on court work but also doesn't sound like he's the type of on court work where he would be close and i mean we're we're at essentially eight days after he initially injured it right now. And maybe, you know, if they go down 3-2, maybe they bring him back regardless in in game six. But I just... Maybe they can do it with the home crowd, but it's it's really they're going to be significant underdogs in any game going forward without Irving or or Harden. Despite the fact that the Bucks still sort of are pretty unimpressive to me offensively.
1: Milwaukee ended the game, and remember there was some there was some garbage in this. They ended it with a 106 offensive rating. Uh, I, I forgot to pull it. I was going to pull it for the first three quarters, but. Um, actually i just did um 105 during during that portion of the game and i I agree with you i thought there were times well especially in in transition like i thought that when you know the feed whether we're talking feedback loops or just when they were able to get the ball moving the bucks were it looked it looked reasonable and there were a couple little things that like specific plays that they liked like there was one where i believe was middleton kicked it out to brooke lopez lopez had the he had the three but he you know as they closed out hard but got it to middleton and they forced a little reaction and and then I, I then they hit the cutter. I think it was Giannis for a dunk, and you know those sorts of ball movement, take advantage of the reaction. Those sorts of things were a little bit better, but
0: well, well, a few other things were better too, right? Like they got up forty seven three point attempts and yeah. uh, twenty seven in the first half. They had twenty seven assists on thirty nine field goals when they were well below the 50 percent mark in terms of their assisted buckets so things did and, and look they didn't there. turn you the ball transition. over nearly as much either yeah yeah um, you, uh but there's I, but yeah
1: but like I, I think that and i you know i saw some of the you know the shit talking that was going on on twitter for duran no needs stars. it's like also remember how Sean Marks, and I'm not criticizing him for this, structured their team. So not only are you paying three guys a ton of money and that limits your flexibility for everything else, though they did retain Joe Harris, when you have three dominant offensive players, the limited resources you have for the rest of your team, it is prudent and advisable to throw those to shore up other things and make shot creation may be the least important thing that you're prioritizing for all these spots you want defense you know ideally shooting effort you know tone like all that type of stuff and so when you lose two of the three especially in some ways these two of the three it creates a circumstance where you have to put other players in positions that they're not particularly able to handle now they they have mike james james played 20 minutes in this game i didn't think the offense looked particularly good in his minutes after Kyrie went down but it puts a lot on Kevin Durant's shoulders, and especially when you consider the Bucks having this level of defensive talent and some of the other limitations of Durant's team, it's like he maybe can do it for a single game. You know, like he can get hot. He, you know, it's hard to stop him individually. But like some of the some of the turnovers that he had, some of the passes that they were kind of trying to have him make, it just it just didn't work.
0: No, I mean, their number two shot creator is someone who was playing in the Euro League a couple of months ago and was not supposed to be in their rotation at all. And Mike James is the really the only other guy in great. I mean, Blake Griffin now is, are they going to have to like post up Blake Griffin against the Switch now, you know, the, to try and like get some offense that way? I mean, they are very, very limited. And Kevin Durant, the burden on him was massive. He started off again with unbelievable defensive energy in the first quarter. And don't forget, Brooklyn led this game 34-23 at one point right at the start of the second and KD had one of the most ridiculous closeout blocks I've ever seen in my life on a PJ Tucker corner three in the first quarter and he was you know still protecting the rim but particularly the physical toll that Tucker was taking on him and you know he really was not able to get off much uh, with Tucker. I mean when Tucker is on him, he's not getting good shots. Um other than from the foul line on occasion. When anybody else is on him, then he's starting to get some pretty good shots, but uh he finished up with 28 points, 9 of 25 and five assists, five turnovers, also 1 of 8 from three. Some pretty difficult three-point attempts as well. And certainly capable of making those, but also I thought really for the first time, particularly in the third quarter, they started to let go of the rope on Giannis and let him get to the rim. They weren't really walling off the paint the way they had, and obviously giving up 27 three-point attempts in the first half was not really the way the Nets wanted to play, even though they... They were holding him in the first quarter. They still held him down to like 30% from two. And Giannis was just like smoking layups, which is crazy because he's an 80% shooter at the rim. But he started making more of those. Um, Still can't hit a free throw. He's 5 of 10, but it was... uh, And still had some turnovers. But I think the with kd not being able to give his all defensively as much anymore also i think jeff green he's another body on Giannis, but griffin guards him a lot better as well bruce brown you know i he looked okay ish he 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 looked
1: better than i thought he would but better than i thought he would was not perfect
0: (laughs) yeah i mean we still he never was on the injury report i mean he may have just gotten hit below the belt and that was like his problem at the end of the game three Certainly, obviously, the Nets are going to ruin that opportunity right now because, I mean, they're, as sad as it is to say, I think the Bucks are probably favored in this series right now with Irving. I mean, my guess is... If you put a gun in my head, like, does Irving play again in this series? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no either. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, my first yeah, thought,
1: I, I, I just, so I had, I watched the game a little bit later and I, I knew that he got hurt, but I hadn't seen the clip. And when I saw it, I just went, oh no. Like it was, it wasn't, you know, like the, the worst ankle sprain I've ever seen, but it looked to me like it was going to be one that'll, that'll linger for a little while. And the Nets don't have a little while because this series Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, if both Irving and Harden are out on Tuesday, which was my current expectation, they're heavy underdogs in that game. And then it's you have to win one out of two. And who knows if they even get one of those guys back by that point.
0: I mean, I imagine if Irving is out and they're in an elimination scenario, they'll try hard. But I also just don't have a great expectation for what he's going to be able to do. Or if he can do it, that he's not going to re-injure it. Uh, And then Irving, I mean, maybe they'll try to try him out there, Um, but... And the other thing with Irving is that Drew Holiday was really causing problems for him when, uh, other than one inbounds play where he just completely fell asleep and let Irving, like, walk into a wide-open three, uh, Irving kept trying to isolate against him still. You could tell they tried to dial up more pick-and-rolls, but Irving is just not—he's not that great of a pick-and-roll player. Like, he really does want to iso, and so, you know, I think they should do more small, small pick-and-rolls, perhaps— as well if Irving comes back but expecting Irving to come back on that ankle and be effective against the monster that is Drew Holiday defensively you know I don't think that's necessarily realistic either now just getting someone out there who can shoot and play and stuff you know what's gonna happen to Irving's defense Because he's also gonna have to guard a a real player generally in this series so yeah and you know what's Harden's defense gonna look like coming back like what type of shape has he been able to keep himself into you know i I have real concerns about the Nets, even though i think that they are they do have the coaching advantage and you know kd can go wild but man i mean just winning two more games with this skeleton crew getting green back does help them offensively to some degree because he can you know space out brooke lopez in a way that brown and claxton can't but they also just you know too much of him guarding Giannis, especially when it's just him and kd and there's not another center i mean that's just that's really difficult so i'm uh i'm not feeling good about it which is really annoying to me honestly like this bucks team does not deserve to be tied like they should have lost game three the nets had just like a terrible shooting performance um and you know at least the nets have got to really be kicking themselves for that defense on drew holiday at the end of game three in particular and then obviously they were terrible in games one and two and Giannis to me like he was better in this game but he still has like been a massive disappointment to me in this series like i the bucks are not playing like well enough to deserve to win this and if they just get into the east finals by default it's gonna really annoy me
1: seems pretty likely at this moment
0: And, and this is from someone who thought the bucks were gonna be really good and competitive in this series and was wowed by how well they played against miami so this isn't some anti-bucks things everyone knows i picked the bucks plenty of times to do stuff over the years
1: and you really seriously considered picking them in this series at full strength
0: yeah but i really just like uh i I will a few things you just for the meat of the game that we can point out here though uh you know the the way that the pj tucker kd matchup is being called is just massive now in the series as we mentioned kd kind of cooks their other guys tucker still had five fouls in 29 minutes in this game but that was with probably five fouls not being called on him in the first half certainly including
1: that one when kd like tried he pulled a three from basically half court and you're just kind of wondering what happened that was trying to get a reach on pj didn't call it. yeah
0: i mean now that's uh That's kind of a bullshit play. Like, I don't mind that one not. Not getting called. Um, but PJ, I mean, he plays on the borderline at all times. Steve Nash after the game called it uh borderline non-basketball physicality, but he also said, Hey, you gotta play through that. And KD has got to be a little little bit mentally tougher. Like it definitely the lack of calls was definitely getting into his head to some degree. And I said the the Nets started setting better screens on Tucker. Now Tucker is getting through all those. I don't know what the heck injury it was that Tucker kind of suffered briefly in the third. I couldn't even tell what part of his body that was. Was, but he like they had to take a timeout from that uh brooke lopez actually set up another play with a beautiful pass he had uh he had, he had an assist but also he had like a play to a rolling chris middleton who then set up a dunk from Giannis. and they basically they've completely gone away from any kind of brooke lopez posting up he was two of six and all six of his field goal attempts were threes they are really trying to space it out to let Giannis and Drew Holiday and Middleton work instead um Bobby Portis had actually oh, a yeah. nice run in this game defensively he, he had some big stops early he, he
1: had a really nice first quarter had some disrupt had some disruptive plays around the basket had a kind of a a, a strip block which those are generally counted as blocks and not as steals um and He had, you know, Bobby Portis, important on defense, misses all three of his shots, just what we all expected.
0: Uh, Yeah, he only ended up playing 12 minutes. And they, they actually, they went away from the units that didn't have Giannis or Lopez out there. In fact, I think they even played Portis and Lopez together, which I would be very surprised if they've done much of this year. Tanasis Anacumpo, the joyful defensive replacement, had the best ever defensive possession that someone has had while getting their ankles broken and falling down. Like, he actually was so intense that he got knocked out or like Kyrie broke his ankles and made him fall but then he actually got back and got like a semi reasonable contest so he didn't get in a highlight right at the end of the first um a huge play it's 34-23 Nets and Chris Middleton makes a three-pointer and gets fouled by Landry Shamet yep and I thought that they actually should have challenged that as the Nets because I think just for it to be a non-shooting foul. Cause they could have wiped four points off the board and just made it a non-shooting foul. Cause I thought that Shaman, it was very close. It was the closer one of these that you'll see, but I thought Shaman had actually made contact With his forearm before Middleton decided to shoot. I was surprised because generally they're erring on the side of making that a non-shooting foul. Um, And clearly Middleton decided to shoot it because he thought he was going to get fouled. He may have just anticipated it so well that he got it off. But that was a high to just wipe straight up four points off the board like that. Could have been huge. Uh, Well,
1: and Budenholzer had a a good challenge where it was... Jeff Green was trying to draw his second charge on Giannis and Giannis was Giannis's third foul and Green was pretty clearly sliding to his left and they reviewed it and correctly overturned it and that became an and one because Giannis made the ensuing shot
0: yeah although he of course missed the free throw yeah it happens with Tucker in foul trouble they actually brought in Elijah Bryant who played with Maccabi Tel Aviv a little bit this year uh as a to a little bit of run during the the regular portion of the game i haven't really seen him play at all but i don't expect he's gonna play a a lot he did airball one three but he he shot it like he thinks he's a shooter (laughs) at least uh pat Connaughton got a huge gash over his eye on what probably should have been a flagrant foul by joe harris but because pat didn't uh get up right away and sprint after him and cause an altercation they never looked at it because play just continued on the rest didn't even see him get hit in the face in the rebounding action but Conanton was fantastic that was a big difference between the first three games he was two of five from three and had uh, three assists, four steals, two blocks, plus 23, and just overall effort level. I thought generally, which more of what we thought it would be in this series, that the Bucks just were out hustling the Nets, getting loose balls. Tucker obviously sets a great tone there. I was shocked to see that the Nets only had four offensive rebounds. I think they had a number of other team offensive rebounds as well that just didn't get recorded. And... Uh, you know, Middleton hit a crazy three right at the end of the quarter as KD started heating up with Tucker in foul trouble, and that that was big to push it back to a double digits. and never never really got close again. The Nets only scored five points in the first six minutes of the third quarter as they were just that was with Tucker on KD. K, that was really the nadir of KD's struggles in this game. So I think that, like the Nets have got to look at the film. I think they need to find more ways to get KD open. I if I'm in their coaching staff and I'm looking at the number of times they've tried to run KD off a wide pin down these last two games with pj tucker just top siding him it just has been utterly ineffective uh even isoing kd didn't really work as well against tucker either in part because i mean there were i think three shots that kd took in the third or in the first half solely for the purpose of thinking that he was being fouled and he was going to get free throws and they didn't give him any of those and not saying they should or shouldn't but if things go a little bit differently then maybe his night is totally different tucker is on the bench earlier but i think you know it's just got to be more high pick and roll for kd because they're just top siding him off the ball the the back door didn't they didn't really get that going at all they don't have other passers or threats i mean like they're totally loaded up against him now so i think you probably got to just give him the ball at the top of the floor and let him work because if he tries to work off the ball like they're just gonna be so loaded up on him that he's not gonna be able to get anything um any other kind of thoughts of like how this might look if irving and harden can't go in game five i'm too depressed no <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean they got to just I think they got to totally punt on the offensive glass they got to keep the bucks out of transition if they can
1: like here's the funny thing though it, even if even if like my fears become reality it still won't be as gross of a game as game three
0: <laughs> well it's it impossible close yeah yeah I've been working with Indochino since way back in 2015 they outfitted my wedding with a tuxedo and sport coats for my groomsmen I've got a number of suits from them as well There's nothing like that feeling of knowing that your clothes just fit perfectly and you're not going to get that at some store. You're not going to get that off the rack. Yeah, they say that they can customize it for you, but why should you start with something that's made for someone else and get them to try to make it fit you? Instead, Indochino makes stuff for you that fits perfectly. Whether it's custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more, it's all at surprisingly affordable prices. Their suits start at just $399 with all customizations included. Each piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail, the fabric, the lapel, the monogram. They've got awesome statement linings as well. Whether you want to go into one of their many North American showrooms or... Book a virtual style consultation. Just go to Indochino.com and you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy to remember CAPSPACE, which I put all the time around the program. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com, promo code CAPSPACE. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us phoenix finished off denver today in a sweep denver did finally start monte morris and will barton that didn't change a ton denver basically stuck to the drop coverage give chris paul whatever he wants and chris paul took whatever he wants he had 37 points 14 of 19 from the field 9 of 9 pretty incredible that chris paul can go 14 of 19 and score 37 points without even attempting a three-pointer that was the one thing they really were locked in on not giving the suns threes they only took 22 of them while denver took 37 and they're able to stay in it a little bit more with like compazzo now coming off the bench hitting three out of seven i mean probably the biggest story to come out of this was nikola jokic getting ejected with a flagrant two after he did not get a foul call he went after cameron payne and in extremely frustrated fashion gave an intentional foul on pain basically so he could complain to the rest you know the russell westbrook foul, but he wound up and just smacked the crap out of pain in the face and it could have been a lot worse he got him right across the bridge of the nose followed through it was it was kind of borderline for a flagrant two, but it was also just so utterly unnecessary in addition to the wind up and the follow-through and the high potential for injury like i totally understand why they gave it a flagrant too
1: yeah like i i would have given it a flagrant run especially like he was going for the ball but he went for the ball so recklessly that that was a totally plot like a totally foreseeable outcome and one that jokic did not care about in the slightest and as you said it was so unnecessary and i'm sure that especially because the suns made a comeback after that juncture there will be those who believe correctly or incorrectly that that the refs robbed the nuggets of this game i still think they were going to lose it going away i mean the suns are better they were getting better looks and Phoenix had a had a stretch in the in the fourth where they couldn't really get a bucket, but I, you know, they they were they were going for a sweep anyway. Like I think they were going to win this game, and so yes, it's un, it's unfortunate that it got to that point. It's unfortunate that that Yoka, that the reigning deserving MVP got ejected from this game, but I don't think it changed the outcome. I don't think it changed which team is making the conference finals, and now in this case, the Suns actually have. So yeah, I think it will. I think it will get more oxygen than it needs to but that's not that's not something i can control so i'm not gonna be that angry about it
0: yeah and hopefully maybe this can be a catalyst for change for jokic because he just he still has these issues where he just gets too frustrated with the referees whether it's not getting back picking up technicals committing euro files. He's at least to stop doing that now finally uh to get himself in foul trouble that only took three years but so he's better he's made some improvements but he still has that temper and you know this it's it, Injuring another player because you didn't get a call is completely unacceptable Um, and he played a little bit better in part because DeAndre Ayton got in foul trouble in in the first half uh, and the Suns don't really have an answer for him when Ayton isn't there but the series is over a lot of Suns fans seem to really be enjoying themselves having made the weekend trip to Denver and see their team win two games. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, they're just going to be probably sitting around for a while because this series was on an earlier timeline than Jazz Clippers due to the Clippers going seven in the last round. And, you know, Paul can continue to rest up. I mean, this was uh, one of his best ever playoff performances. I mean, there's still uh, game one in 2014 against the... Thunder, that was an unbelievable game that he played. I want to say he was like 8 of 9 from 3 in that game. There was his closeout game in Game 5 2018 when he had 41 against utah but this was certainly right up there and you know maybe the nuggets should have started monte morris a little bit earlier but it's it really was deck chairs on on the titanic like they're they're outclassed they had to work really hard for their points sometimes they would get threes uh and the suns it just was so easy for them uh to score in this series and we, we did get to see them dust off javel mcgee for a, a short while but that was uh that's, that's never as exciting as as you want it to be. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little well, free agent small forwards here. Actually, you before we this.
1: do that, do you want to do a couple small pieces of news just so we have them we have them handled? Well, not small in terms of that
0: cost. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got two shoulder surgeries here.
1: Yeah, we do. And we'll start with the one that happened that was happened second and that's Pascal Siakam had to undergo rotator cuff surgery. The prognosis that we've seen is that he will be out 5 months. For those of you who are who are doing math, 5 months is into the start of next season because we're back on the normal calendar for the 21-22 campaign. I don't know if Siakam, that sort of a timetable affects Masai Ujiri's thinking for what he wants to do this offseason, but it is, let's call it a faint piece of momentum that going for it might not be as fruitful, though Siakam would still presumably be available for a vast majority of the next season.
0: Yeah, and perhaps uh, an indication of why he had a little bit of a disappointing year, although he did come on a little bit uh, late. And then this also probably has bigger implications for the offseason is Kobe White had surgery on his left shoulder. They didn't reveal exactly the type, but he sustained it while doing basketball-related activities. And he'll be reevaluated in four months. So it sounds like another a rotator cuff surgery for him. For example, Paul George had this surgery as well, and you know came back in the middle of November in 1920 and 2020.
1: You know, not, oh, 19. Oh, sorry, I got what you
0: were saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, the 1920 season. And you know the Bulls have been rumored to want a point guard for a long time. White is not of this Bulls regime. Although I thought again he was kind of coming on a little bit late. And it found himself a little bit when Zach Levine was out, but for a team that really has gone all in and wants to make a step forward next year kind of waiting and hoping that he matures into a starting quality point guard next year is a concern also they probably need better defense at that position with Zach Levine next to him and they got uh Nikola Vucevic at center so it's like they probably were going to go after a point guard anyway but this really solves it if he won't be ready for the start of the season
1: it really solves it but it also creates another problem because this limits Kobe White's trade value and I mean I thought they were going in a different direction either way and now White doesn't get the offseason. T- yeah.
0: Although, if you're a if you are a team that's looking to grab Kobe White and like buy low on him, you're probably bad and you don't really
1: care. You're not doing about it for October first. of 2021 anyway. That's fair.
0: Yeah. Um, but. Another issue as well is now they'll probably, they need really two point guards. And Sadoransky is on the roster, but he's got 5 million guaranteed for next year. And you would imagine that they probably want to move on from that. He makes 10 million. He's got 5 million guaranteed. If they want to get into free agency, if they want to make, say, the restricted free agent offer sheet for Lonzo Ball or get in on, you know, I mean, gosh, would they even consider like Cal Lowry? Or are they are they really that insane that they would go to like, get someone that old in there to to try to boost their fortunes in like a, the next year or two who knows uh but you know so they're right at about 12 million in space with sadaransky in theory they want to use some of that to renegotiate and extend zach levine but we'll see whether that happens uh, or not um but if they wanted to renegotiate and extend levine and also have room for a point guard off they probably need to move on from both thad young and sadaransky and that leaves them with some pretty big holes uh, you know, maybe if it's a sign-in trade, Saturansky could be part of that sign and trade if it's safe for Alonzo Ball. But this does make things more difficult because they, I mean, I would guess they don't end up keeping Saturansky around next year. If, uh, if they do, he's a fine backup point guard to whoever they bring in as the main point guard. But that also, <laughs> you can't bring that guy in if you're keeping Sataransky around. So then you also have to get a backup and, you know, and maybe the Ish Smith type of market. They can grab someone like that uh, on the cheap or with the room exception or something. And uh, also our friend Fred Katz reporting something that would be music to Wizards fans' ears that uh, there is positive momentum for Scott Brooks to return.
1: Hey, it gives us stuff to need to talk about.
0: Yeah, and he's been supported by Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook I mean Westbrook in particular seems to really like Brooks and Westbrook did play better down the end of the year once he was healthy with Brooks I mean to me you know we did our coach rankings and Scott Brooks was in the bottom five for Hollinger me I would imagine you would have him ranked relatively similarly and but they also I guess they don't want to rock the boat because you know they did technically make the playoffs this year I who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen there I mean I don't and this is another one of those two where you're just like he's technically a free agent right now but it's not like he's coming up in some other searches, right? And he certainly has a an agent who would try to do that and has done that many times in the past to find a guy a different landing space. So uh, that's Warren Legary. So maybe it's a little bit of a clue that if he's not in demand at all, even though he's technically a coaching free agent, that maybe he's not that good and you shouldn't bring him back. I think the other thing, obviously, that's being worked out is his salary because he's making $7 million. He got signed back when, you know, coaching salaries were like really inflated and he was deemed to be a really good candidate uh in the summer of 2016 five-year deal seven million a year so they presumably are going to want to pay him less i'm guessing that that's what they're working out right now because they're not going to want to keep paying him that much but he also doesn't want to take a pay cut so that that would be my guess on what the holdup is and announcing that he's going to return but it seems like you know there's no indication that the wizards like interviewing other candidates or anything It was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper. Remember that? Even still, it it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store. And that shed some light for me on the idea that toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either over twenty-seven thousand trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper and that's why now i use real it's 100 bamboo toilet paper bamboo grows faster than trees it doesn't need to be replanted and it's just a more sustainable material uh, overall it's three ply making it both soft and strong even the tape is plastic free as of course is the rest of their packaging and every roll purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the two point four billion people who currently have to defecate outside so it's good for you it's good for the environment it gets sent right to your house which is awesome with free shipping so you don't have to take up 95 percent of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper no reason not to give it a try listeners of dunked on get 10 percent off their first order with the promo code capspace easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program visit realpaper.com r-e-e-l realpaper.com and use that capspace code to get 10 percent off don't forget that cat space code. To let them know that you came from us.
1: Okay, I think we could move on to the small forward free agent class, and it is a very limited group. I mean, we we talked about the, that there's some functional depth on the this kind of the starter level and the high end rotation level at shooting guard and point guard when we did those earlier in the week for Dunked on Prime and. Small forward, it's top-heavy, but it's top-heavy in an unusual way. Kawhi Leonard has a player option. And yeah, sure, it's possible that he leaves the Clippers. He has left a successful situation before. He left the rating champions in Toronto. But this is different because he chose the Clippers, and he chose his teammates to a certain extent. And maybe Kawhi wants something different. I think there's a distinct chance that he returns, and if they, if this goes really poorly, that it returns and signs a 1-plus-1, one one. so he can you know retain that flexibility moving forward and then theoretically sign a five-year deal with the Clippers after that
0: yeah and quickly the reason that that matters is he's only been on the team for two years so they have early bird rights on him they could give him the max eight percent raises but they could only sign him to a four-year deal uh you have to have been on the team for three years or have been traded on on a a longer-term contract to have your ber- full board right so uh but he is also eligible obviously for the 35 percent max this year which he would not have been until this year that was the thinking on signing a two plus one you would imagine when he first went there so also four years would line up with paul george and the four-year extension that he signed but i mean just for shits and giggles here danny why don't we discuss some other potential landing spots for him if indeed it does end badly here let's say a five gamer lost to the jazz with you know again the pretty limited cast for the jazz
1: Kawhi Leonard is one of the and one of the few like players that you move have an earth force. So if he says he wants to go there. Not there are exceptions, but if you can make a move, you probably do. So he can choose his destination in a way that a lot of other players cannot. And this class actually could have had multiple players who fit that description, but all the other ones signed extensions. So like LeBron or Anthony Davis, for example. So you don't have to limit yourself to just the teams that have max space because the other ones you could trade other guys. Whether that's sort of similar to what the Warriors did to get Andre Iguodala or you know whatever how or maneuver a sign and trade would have to be worth the clippers while with all that said the team that strikes me is a team that actually has significant cap space and that is the Dallas Mavericks who the clippers vanquished eventually in 7 in the first round in Dallas Kawhi could shoulder less of the offensive burden most of the game and and then if Luca you know has been so crazy heliocentric over the last couple of years if he wears down a little bit over the course of the game Kawhi can be their closer and occupy more of the time and also his defensive tools whether Kawhi stays more of a perimeter guy or eventually has to defend fours that could work within Dallas's structure as well
0: yeah absolutely I mean that would obviously be a dream scenario it just you know Kawhi who knows what what he wants I mean it does seem to me even if they flame out that he's going to still want to try to make it work. Maybe it would lead to a Paul George trade instead if George you know really disappoints the the rest of the way, but you know again it's always it's tough to trade a good player for other good players in the NBA usually it's a good player for future assets and the clippers uh, don't uh, it, it doesn't seem like they would want to take a step back next year either. I mean Kawhi still has proven to me that he's pretty damn close to the top of his game with the this playoff performance you've got the knicks out there as well i mean it doesn't seem like Kawhi would really you know does he want to be the new york knicks savior i i don't know about that um you know i i mean i'd be it'd it'd be shocking to me if if he went there but you you never know um hilariously san uh, antonio and toronto both have cap space don't think he's going either of those places
1: probably not and theoretically you'd have to be matching salary and stuff like philly would be fascinating Put him pair him with joel embiid theoretically i think simmons would have to be involved in that going whether it's to la or somewhere else plausible be it be fun back from basketball perspective boston has the kind of the personnel to make a trade work but i also don't know that kawhi would be super interested in potentially it would have to be very similar salary going back or going out or whatever because there's they're right at the tax
0: um have you talked about miami yet no other than but just the, in passing
1: yeah the heat I mean, so they can clear some space, and it wouldn't be that hard for Andy Ellsberg and Pat Riley to clear a little bit more. Miami has has done something like that in the past, but I wonder where Kawhi would kind of fit in their mix. Leonard and Butler, fun on defense, but the offensive fit I think is a little bit weird. Kawhi and Bam would be pretty damn fun. So I— Again, Kawhi has chosen destinations for different reasons before, but I think it, it's kind of wild when you think about just kind of where everything has gone. A, like even a, a negative Clippers thing, other than maybe Dallas, I think that the Clippers are probably his best short-term option, even if this season could still end very badly for
0: them. Yeah, other than maybe the, the Mavs, and for the Mavs, if Josh Richardson were to opt in, you know, it's, it, it's a little difficult to create the space. Kawhi's max, by the way, is. Th- 39 million and I mean really you would have to have so for and the heat also have the 5.2 million million dollar stretch of ryan anderson from back when they did the sign and trade from jimmy and they needed to get under the hard cap so the heat it would be basically impossible for them to create that 39 million in space with bam and jimmy still on the books uh let me just double confirm that yeah not even not even close um because jimmy makes 36 and bam makes 28. And my current projection is that the salary cap will rise the maximum possible uh, percentage for next year, be a little over 112 million.
1: I think minimum possible correct because they oh have yeah these, minimum the, the pre, possible yeah they have the
0: pre- they pre-negotiated have the, right, right yeah sorry the, the minimum possible amount that they can for next year just because they're the, the revenue was so low this year that it seems like they would probably uh be in that situation yeah thanks that i haven't thought about that in a while um so yeah i, I think that's probably enough uh, on kawaii uh but yeah i mean i think the one plus one does kind of make some sense because you know the clippers need some more pressure obviously but uh, let, let's see how this year the, the la clippers could still be the nba game this year like I'm Absolutely. not I'm not ruling really that out in the slightest
1: and incidentally the only other small forward, and his position has been defined differently over the years that is more clearly starter quality at least at the beginning of his contract is the player who was traded for Kawhi Leonard a few years ago and that is DeMar DeRozan
0: yeah and this one you just wonder what the hell is going to happen here because if san antonio wants to just continue on here and pop you know we haven't heard anything about popovich retiring so i assume he's going to be back next year and if he's going to be back then they're probably going to want to try to be as competitive as possible and if they want to try to be as competitive as possible re-signing demar Derozan rosen is probably the best way to do that for next year uh he is 31 we have him listed as a three but he can't really defend any position at all anymore uh not that he particularly Ever could. And but he's the best fit, really, of San Antonio, uh, or on a team like San Antonio that's sort of all right, you know, if we make the the lower end of the playoffs, that would be nice. We need some shot creation. He's still easily the best shot creator on the team. He had one of the more efficient seasons of his career. They don't really seem to care that he doesn't shoot three pointers. They got other pruner guys who can help defend for him. So it does seem like the cleanest fit to bring him back. It's just a question of what's the price? They have plenty of salary caps. I mean they could bring him back and still make a basically a max restricted free agent offer sheet if they wanted to, to like a John Collins or uh or Lonzo or Duncan Robinson. Yeah, or yeah, John Collins and Duncan Robinson seem like the most logical ones to me. But It's just a question of do they just want to say, hey, you know what? Let's see what Lonnie Walker can do, and Derek White, and Dejounte Murray, and DeRozan isn't like the absolute cleanest fit next to other on-ball guys that you're trying to develop, but they might just not care,
1: especially because Derek White had had such a nightmare season, and so they needed DeMar DeRozan more than they probably will next year.
0: Yeah, but they they struggled a little bit offensively this year anyway, and I mean they don't really have a anything close to an NBA quality shot creator now. You know, they're usually worse with DeRozan on the floor, but also they're, that's because they're going against starting units. But yeah, I mean, DeRozan, Pirtle, and DeJounte Murray, I mean, that's just not NBA quality spacing in a, a starting group. I mean, if I were running the Spurs, I would just let him go and just try to get these young guys going and, and continue to develop. You know, we'll see where their draft pick ends up this year as well. But let's say he were to return, you know, I I mean, it feels like something along the lines of like two years, 40 to 50 million is kind of like where I would see this ending up. But hey, you never know, right? If anybody else jumps in, then maybe it gets to be higher.
1: And also, what does DeRozan want? Maybe he wants... Uh, a smaller role on a better team, plausible. Yeah. I don't think he's a great fit for that, but but maybe it's there. And DeRozan has made a lot of money in his career. If he wants to spend the last probably the last few years where he's a can really help a team in a different direction, could be plausible. And well, DeRozan, so who are,
0: who are the cap space teams that might be interested in him though?
1: That is a real challenge because like the Knicks, it's always like he'd be such a horrendous fit that I, I worry about that he'd be a terrible fit in Dallas. Pretty bad fit in Chicago. Terrible fit in Memphis unless he was more of a kind of a second but they even have like they have a couple guys yeah, to try to play i,
0: I mean may- if you're gonna play jaron jackson at the five then maybe he wouldn't be that bad but then they're never gonna stop anybody and they they June is a big part of their team i don't see them going in that direction well,
1: is this leading you to the one cap space team that he could he could elevate because they need a little bit of they need a well, little shot creation
0: right i mean that's it also obviously depends on the direction of the organization and i also just kind of have a feeling that messiah jerry might you know not want to relive these days but he is a good fit in Toronto and but that would mean losing Kyle Lowry as well but they do need some more shot creation he's not a great fit with Siakam though but it just kind of depends what they're going to do I mean or maybe even they would just sign him and be like oh maybe he'll have some trade value though I think I don't know how much the Spurs have tried to move him but like we've struggled for logical fits for him in the free agent market. I think you have the same thing in the, in the trade market, you know, maybe there would be a team that would be interested in him on a sign and trade, but I'm not really sure, you know, who that team would be either. You know, would it be a, you know, could it be, I mean, it could be one of these teams where just the GM doesn't know what he's doing in terms of like fit and is just like, yay points. Let's get as many of these guys as possible. So you you never know, you know, I mean, he still was like supposedly in all-star discussions this year. You know, Dallas has been like slightly bandied about and he doesn't get them any better defensively. But if they if they wanted to go the route of just signing someone for one year and then trying to get back into cap space in 2022, you know, maybe if his market devolved to the point where you would take like one year, 20 million, like they might think about that instead of just going with the long-term deal on Tim Hardaway also for 20 million. But it, it's, you know, Charlotte, that doesn't really make any sense to me either. They got enough ball handlers on the perimeter so like could his market just totally collapse and we'd be looking at a one year type of thing? I don't think it gets down to like the mid-level exception because points and assists do still Well, talk I, I think in this it could
1: be, I think it could get down to the point where he would consider the mid-level exception instead of like 5 million more somewhere else. Like I could see that being a possibility. Now, like let's say it drops to 14-15 million. And at that point the non taxpayer looks all right but there aren't really any there aren't I, of the teams that were pretty confident will be able to use that there aren't any screamingly great fits there either at least in the rough look that I've done on it so yeah, yeah. I, I, it- I've had trouble calibrating on DeRozan for years I thought that you know I thought that the the trade that Ujiri made was great almost exactly for that reason beyond that they got Kawhi Leonard and he helped them win a the championship but we'll see and and with DeRozan I'm less confident than I am with some other guys it's like oh I'm definitely going to hate the contract because like like, like for Schroeder, for example. But it, de- it definitely could happen. And with DeRozan's success and his history, and I, I mean, it wouldn't stun me if if it comes from somewhere. Though I don't know where that somewhere is.
0: Yeah, he's one of the harder guys to predict on, the, on this board. If I had to predict, I would say he ends up back in San Antonio on a relatively short-term deal. So that's it for for starters in either the uh unrestricted or restricted now some of these guys will end up starting but I'm talking about for someone that I personally would want to give starter money to over a long-term contract uh there's no one really there you know Kelly Oubre and Nick Batum are kind of at the top of the rotation guys I mean I think if you're talking about who's played the best this year Batum but he's age 32 would be up there I mean he's looked so athletic so far in these playoffs in particular and then Oubre You know, didn't seem like a great fit in Golden State. There's been reporting that he's not going to be back there, I think, from tim kawakami he seemed to not be a good fit with steph curry due to just kind of his lower basketball iq and he also said that he really wants to start and he he also says that he doesn't want to or didn't say this but the reporting has indicated that he doesn't want to sign you know another deal of the same ilk which was like the two-year 30 million that he signed as a restricted free agent in phoenix but again i run into this deal of like who is this cap space team that's like oh yeah kelly oubre uh four years 65 million come on down
1: Yeah it's a great question and maybe somebody like the knicks comes out of the woodwork but i don't think of him as a particularly great fit there Otto porter when he's healthy he can look he can look like he could really help a good team we saw there were times that he really elevated the bulls but Otto porter played 300 minutes in 1920 and 600 minutes this year so i i think the market oh, he'll, he'll
0: probably play 1200 minutes next year
1: there we go hes uh, he's trending up and so that so that's a real challenge you know in terms of getting a real, va- I think a team could get a real value on him. You know, like if he can stay a little bit healthy, if they ask him to do a little bit less. Other former wizard, Trevor Riza, could have some interest. Remember, he sat out most of this year despite being under contract and then ended up with the Miami Heat. He was okay, but definitely not great for them. His current Heat teammate, Andre Iguodala, has a team option, which you and I both expect the Heat to decline because it's worth $15 million. Iguodala is not worth that at this point.
0: No, and it does seem like many of these guys, Ariza, Iguodala, you also got Wes Matthews as well, you know, are going to sign in that biannual exception to Vettel veterans minimum type of of range and it Porter it it seems like but my guess would be he comes back to just be in the small forward mix in Orlando next year like they did not buy him out of his 28 million dollar salary so they have bird rights on him they also have no cap space so it's kind of one of those things where Like it was with Rudy Gay for a few years with the Spurs, where it's like, pay him a decent salary on a short-term deal to just come back, let him prove it a little bit, maybe you can trade him, although they would have to go with a two-year deal, otherwise he would have uh, trade veto power there with uh, his potentially losing his bird rights. But that's like, that seems like if he didn't buy out there and want to buy out there, and also he had this foot issue as well, that, that seems like he probably would go back to Orlando. But, you know, the way, when healthy, yeah, sure, he's probably worth $10 million a year, but you just, you can't believe in that at this point. And Tony Snell, another guy, I mean, these are all sort of eye of the beholder guys who, you know, they could get. Maybe they get like one year, $7 million. Maybe they get the minimum. Depends what team it is. Depends uh, who else is out there. You've got Torrey Craig in this mix. He's already 30 doug mcdermott actually could get more with this market for shooters being higher finishing up a, a three-year tw- uh 22 million dollar deal with the pacers seems like the pacers really want to have him back though and they have bird rights on him and and they also wouldn't really have much way to replace him uh you know they they have a few tax concerns there they've got about 14 million below the tax but they already have 12 guys under contract including a, a draft pick so i think that it probably makes the most sense for McDermott to come back there and that Indiana, they could use the mid-level instead, but I think as like a bench small, small forward and Kevin Pritchard saying, oh, he's all in on what we're doing. I guess the the other problem is they, would you rather bring back TJ McConnell or Doug McDermott if you could only have one if you're the Pacers? When
1: they're full strength, I actually think what McConnell brings might be more, but, but the problem is you can find a passable, like minimum salary point guard, yeah. backup point guard who can't start a lot easier than you can find. A shooting forward,
0: yeah, and he's uh, McDermott has a nice chemistry with his opponents. That, that one just feels like it's kind of trending towards uh him being back in Indiana. Um, the Derek Jones Jr. player option is a really interesting one. I would imagine he's going to opt into that because you think he wouldn't really have much of a market and maybe also the new coach in portland might like him better uh still i I mean i I, if he opts out i can't imagine him getting that much or getting a multi-year deal at this point he's to about 10 million for next year. You have the one plus one at the mid-level there's also the justice winslow team option oh boy and
1: and and that option just so people know that's 13 million dollars and it makes the difference between the grizzlies likely staying under the cap And functioning as an over-the-cap team, because if they pick up the option and don't move any other salary, pretty much have around, you know, in the range of the mid-level exception. So in that circumstance, you typically stay over just to stay a little bit more flexible in in their yeah, case and actually, there
0: isn't there isn't anyone that sexy to me for the grizzlies that they could get in the 20 million dollar range like i wouldn't and particularly if you're gonna have to go 20 million and go out like well, four and years
1: there's there's a bigger compounding factor there which is that the that spending that over multiple years puts the grizzlies yeah. into difficulty for 22 when they could actually have real money and have some momentum to get to get somebody now there will be more competition presumably in 2022 but memphis you know maybe they had a, a deeper playoff run or something else and and also they'll have a better idea of which of their own players they want to kind of keep around so I don't expect I don't expect them to make noise with their cap space whether that includes
0: Winslow or not you know we probably glossed over Nick Batum a little bit too much in his situation because he signed for the minimum with the Clippers the most they'll be able to pay him is pretty likely the taxpayer level assuming that Kawhi comes back
1: Yeah, because Um, non bird rights are basically useless unless he's willing to sign for close to the minimum. Actually, they're a little stronger in Batum's case because his minimum is so high, but not very much.
0: Yeah, and actually, uh, probably got to assume Serge Ibaka is going to opt in as well. But, I mean, I think Batum, to me, should get offers for, like, you know, Jake Crowder money. Absolutely. Now, the way that he just completely let himself go in Charlotte is a little bit of a concern. But I think if he's on a a real team, then maybe that would... That would change and you know certainly you would think he would have offers for three years at the taxpayer mid-level given the way he's played uh, this year and you know there are any number of teams obviously that would want to jump in on that and he would be a great fit in Golden State good fit with the lakers uh, depending on resigning some of their, their guys you know i'm sure the nets would like to throw their tax mid-level at him some of these teams obviously could just have so much in the tax that they just wouldn't want to do that but i mean he's he's one of these guys who can help any teams as someone who can shoot pass i mean some of his help defense has been a revelation in these playoffs also playing more of a small ball four or five uh so yeah i i, I expect the market to really heat up some for him i mean he could end up getting the most guaranteed money of any of these guys which is crazy to think about um at least on the unrestricted guys then the restricted uh, well i will say briefly I, I like i thought abdel nader who at age 27 was playing pretty well playing some of the best defense of his career um and then he obviously had to have this knee surgery so he's not going to get more than the minimum but he's someone i would be targeting uh with a flyer there but yeah then you've got uh taylor horton tucker as a restricted free Guy and and that's going to be totally fascinating as well. The Lakers reportedly held on to him in the Kyle Lowry talk so they you would think are prepared to pay up for him. What do you think of Horton Tucker as a player? Like, is he a guy that you see as like a for sure future starter?
1: No, I see the path, but Horton Tucker hasn't been he hasn't been a good enough three point shooter, and he also doesn't do everything else at the crazy high level that you need to be sure that somebody who can do that. So you kind of need to. to do either thing for me. I like Horton Tucker. I think that he can he can create a little bit, he can move the ball, be be can fit in on a good team. But it's just as a practical consideration, I mean, shot he he's 29% on his career from three on relatively low volume. And when THT was at Iowa State, he shot 31% on three So it's not like it was something anomalous, and he was 63% at the free throw line in college and 77% now on again, relatively low volume. Yeah. I
0: mean, he's only twenty, so you, so you're you're projecting a lot. I mean, I think for the Lakers, just to hold on to him and just maintain the asset, and also have him as a possible trade possibility. I mean, I don't think that he's going to be like some awesome rotation guy for them in the playoffs next year. Uh, But you also don't want to just like let him go. For nothing,
1: they don't have many lottery tickets.
0: Yeah, they have
1: exceedingly few.
0: I mean, when you talk about lottery tickets, if you are the Oklahoma City Thunder, obviously some of your cap space is probably earmarked for just like teams trying to get out of the tax and that kind of stuff. If you are, yeah, maybe uh, probably not the Knicks. I think they're probably going to be going in a slightly different direction at this point. San Antonio might be another one, but uh, you know, OKC and San Antonio seem like teams. That would really try to get in on him, Detroit.
1: If they have that, yeah. like fifteen million or so,
0: yeah, that would be interesting. And obviously, his situation—he's arenas limited, uh where you know, basically, his salary, the most he can get paid in the first couple of years is the mid-level, and then you could bump it up as high as the maximum. That was like the Tyler J- Johnson going back to Omer Asik and Jeremy Lin on three-year deals, where you kind of give them this uh, situation where you can have a balloon payment at the end. Now the Lakers can elect. We'll talk more about this actually in the Lakers section, so we don't have to get into it too much. But you know, Horton Tucker, like he is a na- a big name. There was some demand for him, obviously. Hey, maybe Toronto comes in with a, an offer sheet if they were that interested in him in the in the Lowry deal. It seems like, but he he definitely makes much more sense for a team that's at a different portion of the success cycle than the Lakers are. Yeah, that's true. And also, you know, who knows. But also by the time, if I were the Lakers, I would try to be pretty aggressive to get him under contract. And, you know, maybe he just won't do that. It's also, you know, he's with Clutch. So it it seems uh, Rich Paul called uh, the Lakers we in an interview because he had six players on there. But uh, talking about like the... they he thought the Lakers had the most talent at one point so you know it does feel like he's going to come back there but if they re-sign Schroeder and they re-sign Alex Caruso and now you know you can really give him some pucker factor on the tax as another team Lakers weren't able to get that PPP loan maybe they're a little bit uh (laughs) maybe a a little bit light in the pockets anyway um anybody else who's like a name that you think is even like remotely interesting in here
1: I think the ship has probably sailed on Glenn Robinson the third you and I both we uh, oh you mean
0: nobody signing him <laughs> yeah uh, is, is that th- what indicated that i mean i would still give him a shot um uh Bates diop just has impressed me at times with his defensive versatility but he's 25 and hasn't really been able to shoot he couldn't get on the floor for the spurs but that's just one that kind of like slightly pops out to me even in the slightest you've got I, justin jackson from that 2017 draft who's I mean, really been on the fringes
1: i mean the practical considerations of defensive substitute thanasasante Tenosis- at akumpo's free agency when you consider everything that's going on with Giannis, is definitely it's interesting in some form though that a yeah. lot of that is not yeah, the center
0: yeah so the Mavs are going to sign him in other words <laughs> we'll see yeah and yeah, yeah i mean, I mean we'll- this
1: is this is just a horrendous crop i mean that's that's just the way the way it is i mean tory craig we saw how low his value was when basically you know the suns got him for a pittance after the bucks got him for the minimum yeah it but, was
0: like a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, it was one hundred seventeen, something like that. Um, and so, I, I think Hollinger's tweeted out a couple times. So, and and our beloved Tony Snow, he of the.
0: 50 50 90 season
1: well and his final percentage tony snell this year 62 of 109 57 on three pointers this year
0: yeah and he still hasn't done anything in the playoffs so i i don't i don't think that's gonna get him much of uh much of a look, but he can he can eat some innings for you on the wing during the regular season just fine
1: and that matters i mean in some ways especially for a for a good team because then you can occupy your other guys less
0: all right. Well, I think we are done here. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you want to subscribe to dunked on prime, we would love to have you on there. You can get our salary sheets, uh, as well. You can get this free agent rankings list those salary sheets are going to update live with all the trades during the draft and free agency we're only a a couple of months away from that hilariously enough we're actually like 50 days away from free agency so this is uh this is basically we're going to have all our draft coverage coming up as well our scouting reports so uh never a better time than this time of year to be a dunked on prime subscriber and we will talk to you all next time till then In 2021,
2: it's finally okay to talk about our mental health and happiness. Humans aren't meant to keep everything inside. It makes us sick, and therapy helps. But what is therapy exactly? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing with stress well. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles, because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It may or may not be for you, but it's worth looking into. Because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Stitcher. That's BetterHelp.com slash Stitcher.